Daily Torah study is essential to living a meaningful Jewish life. Whatever your background or level of observance, Torah study each day engages the mind, enriches the soul, connects us to God, and gives our lives direction and meaning. But to be honest, most of us need a framework. As much as we'd love to learn every day, left to our own devices, life inevitably gets in the way. Our good intentions fall by the wayside. Hi, this is Ruvain Spolter, and I invite you to come join me in the free daily learning program you've been looking for. I call it the Mishnah Project. I created the Mishnah Project to teach daily Mishnah over YouTube. Why choose Mishnah for your daily learning? First of all, Mishnah is manageable and concise. You can learn two Mishnayot in about 10 minutes a day. The Mishnah Project is understandable and clear. You'll not only be hearing the Mishnah, but seeing the text and visual aids to help you understand the Mishnah clearly. Finally, the Mishnah Project is comprehensive. Studying just two Mishnayot a day, you'll finish the entire Shas in under six years. To join the Mishnah Project for free, simply go to mishnah.co slash join, where you'll find links to the WhatsApp group, the Telegram group, our YouTube channel, and even our podcast feed. That's mishnah with an H dot C-O slash join. And start your journey toward completing Shas today. Everybody, and welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly, our weekly podcast about religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, and everything in between. My name is Ruben Spolter. I'm the director of a, an online education platform called Kita.org. You can find that at Kita.org. We're here with our Rabbanit Mali Pravsky. Hello, Rabbanit Mali. Hello. Rabbanit Mali is a licensed social worker in private practice. She's a, she, she is the Shana Bet um, teacher, Madricha Rabbanit director in MMY, and she teaches in the Beit Midrash in Efrat, the Women's Beit Midrash, and many other places. Molly, I noticed next week you're going to be online speaking for, um, for, um, for uh, Artur Stone. You have, a, you have a thing. Yes. Is it next week? Would you like to tell the audience what you'd be talking about next <laughs> Wednesday? Are you serious? That's really next week? Yeah. Are you sure it's next week? Cold or did fake? Isn't it like, did I just notice this? Or no, there's, I'm definitely doing a podcast and I'm looking forward to it very much, actually, talking about Rav Kukur and Soloveitchik's view of Israel and Zionism. So um, stay tuned for that. Molly yeah. is not into publicizing her own events. And we have here Rav Johnny <laughs> Solomon. Hi, Rav Johnny Solomon. He is a teacher, he's an author, he's an editor, and he has his own uh, personal Beit Midrash, uh, the virtual Beit Midrash. He's a, he's a great mentor to me and an advisor. And if you've got questions, it's really worth it to explore the answers together with him. Hi, Rav Johnny. Shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom. Okay. Rav Johnny always has, gets this uncomfortable look when you talk about him. You can't see on the Zoom, but it's okay. I'm doing the talking. See, there you go. Today we're <laughs> going to talk about, we're going we're, we're gonna to start, we're going to jump off from the, a woman who you, you might not know her name. Her name is Effie Hertzke. Hertzke? Hertzke? But of course, if you saw a picture of her, you've seen a picture of Effie walking on her treadmill, talking to Rafi Reshef on, uh, on Arutz Shtemisre, uh, I think it was, or whatever. We've all seen the video of him interviewing Effie as she uh, returns to the gym. And she has, a sort of, she has a sort of energy and verve about her. You basically have to love her. Everyone who watched her more or less fell in love with her and her, her positivity and her energy. But there was much more than that. What was really fascinating, or not what was, one of the really fascinating aspects of Effie was her mix, her comfort on the one hand in Hebrew and her lack of self-consciousness about her need to just switch from Hebrew to English when she didn't know the answers, when she didn't know the words. She's like, oh, Raita et muscles, Shelly? Oh my God. Like, you know, she's like, she's so great. She was, and, and... And uh, that brought us, actually Rav Johnny uh, raised the topic, that brought us to the notion, uh, and Rav Johnny will tell me if this is where you want to go, the notion of the role of Anglos and their assimilation or their place in Israeli society. 
We're all Anglo's. Um, Johnny, I, Johnny, I, Molly's been here the longest. She made Aliyah like 25 years ago or however many years ago. I made Aliyah 12 years ago. Rev Johnny, what are you celebrating now? We're coming up to nine. Nine. Okay. And all of us, we're Anglo's. Anglo's, for better or for worse, we're not Americans. We're Anglo's. We speak English. We're identified as such. And all of us at the same time have found places in the larger Israeli society. And so we thought that Effie, as an example, is an, is an important opportunity to talk about this issue of the, the nuance and the complication of what it means to be an Anglo here in Israel. So I want to start, Rav Johnny. What was your reaction when you saw the video of her talking? So first of all, how did you react to her on a personal level? And then uh, share with us your thoughts vis-a-vis -vis how, you, how you reacted to her comfort appearing on Hebrew TV in, in Israel, but just sort of mixing in the English and, and how you saw that as something as symbolic of, like she's been here for years and years and years, of us as Anglos sort of fitting in. So firstly, I love Effie. She reminds me of some of my great aunts, uh, people I knew in, in, in bygone years. She has a real energy, and she's a very, very special woman. I've watched a number of interviews with her. She's somebody who's moved to Israel with her husband. He died in an accident uh, seven years after they moved here, and she's just been kind of trying to bring positivity to those she's met uh, over many, many decades. So... I just think she's a, a really wonderful lady. In terms of the interview, and actually she had two interviews with Ravi Reshef and then a couple of other interviews on other channels. I was actually really delighted. Uh, I say putting aside from her great uh, spirit and also her work in healthcare, her dedication to try and bring joy to many others, especially those who've been unwell. Because though she has a very thick American accent, she speaks good Hebrew. And I, I know it's important to note that. She speaks good Hebrew, understands Hebrew fluently, uh, can hold her own absolutely in a conversation, can, can make her point. And on the other occasion, she, as a as one of the uh, people who've written about this, Sharon Avni has written a great article in uh, Times of Israel. She translanguaged, right? She kind of replaced a word that she was thinking of in Hebrew with a word that came a little bit quicker to her in English. But in terms of her quality of comprehension in Hebrew, it was 100%. In terms of quality of communication in Hebrew, it was in the 90s, definitely. And there was a little gap where, as she kind of, as say, slipped in the word muscles because that word, as say, wasn't quite there on the tip of her tongue. And I think she's actually a very powerful ambassador for people who've made Aliyah. We can't always change our accent. You know, some of us have thicker accents than the others. But it's quite clear that in the many decades she's been in Israel, she's made it part of her duty to learn Hebrew and to communicate in Hebrew. And as we've probably each of us found, you can't change your past. You can't change if you're born in a different country and lived there for many decades with the bestest of intent. I can't change the fact that that was my mother tongue. And especially when there's a word that's in your head and you just can't think of it and the English comes quicker. Okay. But what was great about Rashi Re Rafi Reshef was he took it as it came because he recognized he was somebody he could have a conversation with who peppered her conversation with English. But she was part of the conversation. And, and I mean, I'll just wrap up and I'd love to hear what Mali says. In, in my neighborhood where I live, you know, I'm somebody who's lived here for nine years. For me, it's very important to try and speak Hebrew. Um, and very important speaking Hebrew as best I can as somebody calls Israel my home. But although I try and avoid peppering my Hebrew with English, you know, sometimes I use a word here and there, or sometimes I slip to a more elementary word than I would like. But precisely because I'm trying and I want to be part of that conversation, there's a tremendous amount of latitude that I get from the community where I live. And, and it's important to recognize that. We often think that Olim are seen to be a different category. I'd say that's more the case when Olim just want to remain Olim. But Olim who've moved here, who really want to be part of the conversation, there's tremendous latitude shown to people who've gone on a journey and who've you know, developed their language skills and who are investing time and energy to have dual language conversations in all so many different topics and ways that they can. 
Molly, you live and generally work in Alon Shavut, which is known to have a lot of a lot of Anglo's. Like this is something we should we could actually maybe bring up a little later. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. Um, what's been your how's what is your experience vis-a-vis like uh, Hebrew integration and and how people react to you even so many years later as an Anglo? Right. So I, I like how Johnny framed it because I think that that he, he I think he hit it very well, which is I think that neither extreme is right. Meaning, I, I think that, that it's correct. Like Johnny's, um, main, I think one of his central points was, it's not so healthy to come here and, and assume that you're going to, I mean, I'm not judging. There are people who really have a very hard time with language acquisition. They might come later and therefore the cultural issues are harder. So people want to go and live in an Anglo-only enclave. I'm not judging them. I am saying, though, that I think that optimally, it's probably best, right, to um, acculturate into the culture in which you come for a lot of reasons. It'll maximize your impact. I think it's probably healthier for your children. I think children um, who, who, even if the parents are immigrants, the children feel fully comfortable in Israeli society. That's probably healthier for them, you know, growing, you know, to grow up in that way. Um, I think, uh, in general... Yeah, all of us speak to... English at home, right? You all speak, yes, I speak yes. English Yes, yes. And I think that's a gift that you yeah. give to your kids. If your kids are bilingual, you've given them a gift in Israel for sure, academically and, and a lot of other ways also. So but I don't think I need to explain why I think it's valuable to become part of the culture. Um, at the same time, I think that Johnny's correct also that this feeling that I think sometimes people are given that you have to com- become completely Israeli and you have to totally integrate. And, you know, if you if, if you can't speak Hebrew perfectly, then you have to feel uncomfortable and embarrassed is not true either. And I think that that I grappled with that for a long time because I think that I felt like until I could speak perfectly and have all the words right and have all the grammar right, I, I, I know that I limited myself in terms of um, things that I would do in the community, and I think I still do, right? I think if there's a native-born Israeli um, who could do a better job, let's say, in a certain public position or giving a certain public lecture, let them do it. Because I know that my language skills in Hebrew are always going to be less good, certainly than my language skills in English, and probably than, than an Israeli who could do it, if there's an Israeli who can, who can do the same job as me in quality, but has the language skills, they'll probably do a better job. And, and so I've always limited myself in that way. I still remember I made Aliyah. And at the time, I thought that I was going to get a doctorate, which I ended up not doing, which was actually doesn't matter. It's just never mind. Um, there's but still time, I, Molly. You can still do it. No, no, it. I'm not doing it. I'm very comfortable <laughs> with my decision to not pursue the doctorate. Um, but I spent a year in Hebrew U. And I, I had just come. I have a master's from America. And it's ne- my, academia has never been my weak place, right? Academia is always in a place where I thrived. And all of a sudden, like, I come into an Israeli classroom. And it, it's in philosophy, which is my area. And it's with an incredible professor of philosophy. And I want to say something. And I want to express myself. And I, I'm trying to talk. And I realize that I sound so much less intelligent and my point is not coming across and I'm not used to it. And it was so hard for me mm. to to feel that. I, I, I remember like saying like I, I made Aliyah and it's like my IQ just dropped 100 points because I'm tr- I can't <laughs> do this in this language. I totally and I felt that that was I, I always felt very limited by that and very bad about that. Um, and so it's been a process for me to kind of embrace it. And I remember when I started doing therapy and I was, do, I was, I was in a clinic um, where there were Israelis. And I said to, my, to my, um, um, uh, my supervisor, I said, I can't, when, and this is another true point that I think is important to bring into the conversation, which is um, you're never fully as much yourself as when you speak in your mother tongue. So I, my first couple bar mitzvahs or bat mitzvahs, I always spoke in Hebrew because I remember a friend of mine said, you can't not speak in Hebrew when you give your speech at the bat mitzvah. And then I had a friend who spoke at a, at, at a, at a simcha and she said, my heart speaks in English. And so I'm going to give my speech in English. And I thought that was just very beautifully stated. So coming back to this point, I said, you know, when I teach, I speech, I teach in English, even if, let's say, in the beginning we wanted to teach you read, I said, I, I'm not myself. I can't, my true personality can't come across. A, my personality can't come across, not in my mother tongue. I don't have the same vocabulary level. I don't have the same facility with the language. Um, and so I said, how am I going to do therapy in Hebrew, where there's so much of it is about the connection and the authenticity? And the therapist said, it's okay. Just speak slowly. 
find the words you need. And if you don't know the word, it's also okay because it's an interaction with another person and you're giving them the opportunity to be the expert and then the opportunity to have the word to tell you and it's all fine. And that was the first time, let me just, I'll, I'll wrap up my point. That was the first time and that was like years into my Aliyah where it was like permission to just be myself and to embrace this duality of, of language and it's okay. And I think that that's why we, we all responded to Effie so strongly because she didn't have the insecurity that I had, right? She would just, and again, it's it's limited me in, in many times where like I haven't said things or she just like, she doesn't have to, she, as, as, as Johnny said, the word isn't there on the tip of her tongue. She'll put in the other word. She says to Rafi, you know, but channel and is a channel of channel and it's fine, right? It's just hilarious and fine. But I think it's because she owns it with such charm and such grace and such um, positivity, and I think that that's a lesson that I need to learn, which is just own who I am, be authentic, be myself. And, and I think that that's the place that, that American Olim can, can learn to inhabit. It doesn't have to be one or the other. We don't have to completely integrate with Israeli society. We can own and bring unique things from the diaspora. Um, but we also don't have to hide in our own enclaves. We can and we should integrate into Israeli society and find a way to be part of the, of the larger society, but also own our, our unique identity. Okay, so I'm going to respond and actually going to disagree with you from the other side. Um, but before we do that, I want to take a short break for our sponsor, and we'll be back right after this. Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ila, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one -one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website rabbijohnnysolomon.com which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Okay, now we're back. As I said, I wanted to disagree with you, but I, I'm, I'm not going to be critical because everybody has to have their own place. And it's been a long time for me uh, to come to this place. But I think, Molly, I think we are our own worst enemies when it comes to this, when it comes to this area. I think that the fact that you, like what you said, if there's someone who could say it better than me, I'm going to let them say it. I think what you are depriving your community of your voice. And I, I, I came, when I came to Israel, I went through this whole thing also, and we still go through it to some degree. I have it much less. But I came from being a rabbi in a show where I, pri I, I, I prided myself, of course, I've forgotten my English, but I took great pride in rhetoric and speaking and commanding an audience. And you go from that all of a sudden to, like, I don't have the words and I'm missing the language and I'm missing the ability to. And for that reason, we limit ourselves and we don't engage, we don't, we don't promote. But, and I think to myself, well, the, the lecture that you're giving in English the Israeli public is not getting that lecture in Hebrew. No one's giving your perspective on the connection between Rav Salavechik and Rav Cook and I don't remember you said the state of Israel or whatever. That, that lesson, it's not like somebody else is giving it and they're giving it better than you. They're not giving it and they're not giving it in, you know, with the English word here or there. And I think that that's, this is a lesson that is going to take Anglos like a long time. Effie is like so great because of that, that her total lack of self-consciousness and her comfort in her own skin, it, we just need to get over ourselves. So this is a story I was actually talking to an Ole recently about, about this. And the story I like that really hit me, like when I first came to Israel, I was working in an Israeli college. And of course, I was totally intimidated by writing emails in Hebrew. And my language skills are not bad. They're good. They're actually quite good. But I was, of course, intimidated. How am I going to do this? And you learn and you make mistakes and you try to grow, you try to learn. 
And then one day I'm, I'm, I'm driving on the six, you know, north to, to work. And the weatherman comes on and, the, you know, on Reshet Bet, because that's the only channel that I know. And the weatherman comes on and he says, and he gets on this thick Russian accent. He goes, And I was like, what? One second. That guy can do the weather on Israeli radio and I can't speak in front of a group of students and of Israeli students. I, I have a lot to give. I have a lot to give in methodology and teaching and knowledge. And I discovered that you know what happens when you say to them, wait, how do you say, um, you know, what's this thing called? You know, the, how do you say, you know, like the air conditioner uh, clicker thing? They love giving you the words. They're very happy to give you the words. You could be, like you said, in, a, you know, in your philosophy class, I feel bad, because that's like very highfalutin, sophisticated language. It's a little trickier. But if you would have said it in English, I'm sh like to me, like you, know, you weren't at that stage, but I hope a student is listening to this and saying, I'll just say it in English because don't get me wrong, in Hebrew you, they all understand English anyway. And, and I, want to, I want to say another point, even more importantly, especially when we silo ourselves. We don't really realize, the way I say it, like Johnny, I don't know if you realize this, but uh, we listen to you, we think you're cooler than we are. Because Americans love British accents. They sound really exotic. Right? They just do. I know you don't like, feel self-conscious. It's nothing about you, you just come from a cool country. Right? But... To Israelis, we don't realize this. We sound exotic. Like we feel self-conscious about our mivta Amerikait, and we're never going to hide it. I'm never, ever going to hide it. It's never going to change. I'll never get the race perfectly. You could be here 100 years, and they'll immediately say, oh, I see you are in from America. When you come? You know what I'm saying? Like that, they'll immediately switch to English. But you could see that as, a, oh, I don't fit in. Or on the other hand, this is a nation of immigrants. This is a nation of people from literally around the world. And to say, yes, I come and I bring, sort of like Molly said, but more than that. I'm, I'm going to conclude this point by, by just sharing. I'm not going to say the person, but there's a, there is a thinker in the, in the, in the religious world in, in here in Israel who has so much to give. He has so much to give to, the, to Israeli society in the area in which he works and excels and thinks and writes. I was like, you have to start writing in Hebrew. And he's like, no, I'm not good at Hebrew. I'm not good at languages. I was like, you have a degree. You spend your entire life like learning in another language. Like you don't understand how much more influential you could be if you involve yourself in Israeli society. And he so far, well, I mean, I don't know him that well, but he's been reluctant. So if you're listening to this, you know who you are. And but, I mean, you're, you are, think about it this way. You feel self-conscious, but you are robbing the Israeli public of the contribution you have to make, which is the most um, involved, engaged commu Jewish community in the world. And why wouldn't you want to be involved in that, even if it was in broken Hebrew? So, Mali, give that class. Give it in Hebrew. That's what I have to right. say. What do you is, think? I think what you're saying is very important because what, 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 what trips me up is, like, as I said before, well, it's two things. One is if somebody can do the same thing as me and do it equally as well, why not have somebody who's going to do as well, if not better than me? Fine. We can, you know, say there. But I think what you're saying... Yeah, we're not is, talking about reading like, go, dog, go to your kids. In, no, in, but in I'm saying if somebody so can I'm saying nobody present can. the Tsevet Muganut, right? The, um, you know... No, no, because nobody will come at it. That's exactly my point. Nobody will present the Tsevet Muganut from your perspective with your attitude and your sensitivity. Right. So, okay. So let's, let's just say that cases where that is true, I think what trips me up, I don't know, I'm interested to hear what both of you have to say, but what trips me up is comparing myself to myself, right? It's like, if I know, and, and I've heard this from Hebrew speakers. I remember a Hebrew speaker saying, I can't really be myself in English, right? So, so right. They, they were, they, they had to go like, you know, do recruiting in English or whatever. Um, so we all know that we're better in our native tongue. So I know, let's say, that if I, if I deliver the speech, let's say, in English, I could get it to a, you know, 95% optimal, you know, as good as I could give it. And I know that if I give it in Hebrew, it's not going to get close to there. It'll be like, you know, somewhere between 60 and 70% of as good as I want it to be. So I'm comparing myself to the best that I can do, and I know that it's falling short. But what you're saying, which I think is really valuable, is, okay, so, but but if if your 60% is still contributing, if, and I just heard a, a beautiful podcast um, where somebody was talking about this, and she said, like, 
she was ill and now she's better. And she says her whole perspective is that her whole like perspective on life changed. And she decided her life is now a life of service. That's how she thinks about it. When she interacts with people, it's always about like, wh- what can I give from a place of like compassion and love in this interaction that will serve the person I'm talking to? And if you think about it from that perspective, then you're really right, right? It's, it's not about ego. It's not about I could do this better in another language. It's, a, it's about do I have something to contribute? And even if I could do it better in another language, right, if, 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 my, if my choices are zero or 60, right, the fact that in English it would be 80 or 90, 60 is better. So well, I first think of all, I would say totally, number one. Secondly, yes, it'll be 60 the first time. It'll be 61. It'll be 65. You're never going to get to 100. You're never going to get to that 90. It's not going to be, but it's going to get much, much better if you do it. But it's hard, you know? again, but I, I'm just yeah, I didn't say it's not hard. That it's we, very hard to know, to know that you're always in a reality that you're not as good as you can be. And, and, and maybe your answer is, okay, so be a little humble and know that, that that's okay. And again, if you're Effie, she doesn't care. She doesn't care. She's like, she's not thinking about herself, the clout. Right. Correct. That's that's what that I think is. what. what no, but I, my so point, charming. I don't think Effie, do you really think Effie's giving 60. You don't think Effie's giving the same 90 because she just adds in the English. Who cares? It, correct. That's so maybe probably you're wrong. true. And that's probably right, because because she's not thinking about herself, because she's not letting her ego get in the way and she's just being so authentic. And I think for me, that's probably the lesson. It's when you're Johnny. being authentic, yeah, you yeah, are your best it. self. Yeah. Johnny. So so. Everything that I think both of you have said very, very much resonate with me. Um, I'm, I'm really driven by very meaningful ideals in terms of engagement and contribution. But there is also a certain sense of reality check. Uh, and just give a couple of simple examples. I write things quite quickly in English. And when I write in Hebrew, which I strive to do, it just takes uh, double, triple the time. And there's frustrations because I'm on a number of, for example, email lists of Israeli rabbis and there are lots of issues that arise and I really do want to be part of the conversation but then I say to myself there's a limit on how much time I can give to writing this email if it was in English I'd do it if it's in Hebrew I've got other work to do as well and by the time I've even figured out what I'm saying you know three other people have knocked out some kind of response not just in there so so there is a question of triage figuring out how do I best use the time I have, notwithstanding my deep desire? But I'll say just a couple of quick things, especially for our listeners. And a couple of us alluded to it. Number one, even though we've said all of our uh, homes speak in English, I know that all of our homes promote reading in Hebrew. Like for me, I get a, a Hebrew newspaper. I read it on Shabbos. I read it both because I'm interested in it, but also because a couple of hours of reading sophisticated Hebrew is really important. Uh, I, I actually think it's also TV. very important as you, to listen to Israeli radio, to listen to the right, media, so, to be comfortable. Right, I was going to say, to be, I, like, I, like you said, Effie is 100% fluent in understanding, and yeah. I think that was correct. 100%. Also. Listening to radio and watching TV is very important. It's not just that. You also pick up on, on cultural yeah. uh, references you ordinarily wouldn't pick up even in your local community. Uh, and let me just add one Beyond more that, point. So my wife yeah. is an English teacher, and when the parents ask her, how can my son learn more English, or my daughter, she says, have them watch Netflix with the English subtitles. Mm-hmm. So my right, answer exactly. to, to uh, Anglos would be, watch Shizzle with the Hebrew subtitles. Right. And you'll 100%. pick it up. It'll, it's hard. You'll get it eventually. Uh, thirdly, what I've tried to do uh, over the past few years is, and, and there are numerous opportunities, do volunteering or participate in courses where you can immerse. Truth be told, I personally have worked, have, have sought uh, numerous opportunities to work in Hebrew. Most of my work is still in English, and it's a source of great frustration to me. But even though that's the case, I've done my darndest to try and go on lengthy courses so that I spend many hours uh, per week, um, engaging in deep conversation in Hebrew. Again, I can't quite change that gap that will always exist. But this is, you know, getting to a certain amount of immersive hours of sophisticated conversations. And the more you immerse, the better you become, and also the more confident <coughs> you feel as a result of that. And I'd actually just, you know, going back to what Ruby was saying, uh, and, and I live in a small community where I do talk in shul quite often. Uh, it's interesting, precisely because once in a while, uh, I can't remember the word on my tongue, my sermons become more interactive, which actually is quite, obviously these are the times when we did sermons and I used to uh, go and speak in shul. But it, it, it's, I, I take 
what is a weakness and use it into a strength. And I think that's what Effie's doing here too. You can't change necessarily uh, where you've come from. And I'm somebody who's driving and immersing and trying and growing and putting in the time and the effort. But especially if you're not working in a, in a Hebrew language setting all the time, it's likely to continue to be somewhat, not entirely of a glass ceiling. But use your weaknesses as your strengths and know that people do want to hear from you. And Johnny, I have I, to, I have I to interrupt her. you. I, that phraseology, you can change where you're from. I think you just have to switch it and think about it in a different way. Everything about Johnny, everything that all of our listeners love about Johnny is his thoughtfulness and his wisdom and his 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 the, the, the thinking patterns that he learned where you came from. And that's part and parcel of who you are. So I think you can't you have to say it a totally different way. You're thinking about the language and saying, I can't change the fact that I came from England and I have this miftah and I don't have the language. But together with that comes a passion and a way of thinking and a moderateness that's so needed in, in the world in which we live today that doesn't exist. So like, and that's really what I said to Molly. Molly, somebody else could not get up and say what you're going to say because they, don't, they, they haven't come from the place that you came from. They don't have the thinking that you have and they don't have the perspective that you have. And I think that's something that Anglos have to realize. I mean, the business world knows it very well. Like they want that American, and that's, they don't just want your attitude. They need your culture. They need your understanding. You know, like they, 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 you know, they need all of that. And 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 uh, why is that not true? In the, like, not why that is equally true in the area of ideas. And you see it all the more in the Israel, Israeli world, like you know the political world in which we live today, where everything is becoming so kitsoni. Like th that's why we do this podcast because there aren't moderate voices. We, you know, you and I all we all know that in the Israeli world, the same moderate voices are few, few and far between, especially in the religious world. And. Uh, Right, and, and so, uh, just two points, one related to what you just said and one another one. But just in terms of Miftah pronunciation, as it happens, I've got pretty good pronunciation. It's something that I worked on for many years before I made Aliyah and since then. Um, and that is something you can develop. Uh, for some people, it's a little bit harder to shift. And, and we've spoken a little bit more about vocabulary, but pronunciation can be bettered. That doesn't necessarily mean that if you've got a thick accent like Effie, Will you people know immediately once you start speaking the Yonola? Yeah, they will. But nevertheless, it is something you can partially train yourself in. That's point number one. Point number two is, and, and yeah, I, I mean, the, but my better. point, all, all my point is, is the Miftah is not important to them. They honestly, Israelis right. don't care. They really don't care. Point number two is that, you know, broadly, not just uh, here in terms of Olim in Israel, but also the wider Jewish perspective. And I was recently giving a talk about Rabbi Sachs and, and his vision. We need to be more confident Jews outside of Israel. And truth be told, we need to be more confident Jews inside of Israel. There is a real fear. And, and I think some of us have carried this and I continue to do so. But I'm really trying to push myself out of there of thinking, you know, I can't write an article for newspapers. You know, that's for the sophisticated writers. The answer is, yeah, it may take you a bit longer. And maybe you can't put, you know, pump them out as quickly as others. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. And... I think there are important voices that need to be heard, important ideas that need to be communicated. And uh, like Ruby was saying, sometimes... Or, and Mali so, too, Johnny, sometimes I'll just, I'll just our, share with you. Own, uh, I, I want to respond to you about that. I think the email, you're right. It's not worth the effort and the... And it's absolutely true that writing is, like for me too, is automatic in English. And it's just much harder in Hebrew, although it does get faster. But what you said about the English articles, I will just tell you from personal experience. At the beginning of the, at the beginning of the pandemic, a friend of mine who was on Shlichut, he's like, "You have to write more. You have to write in Hebrew." You know, like, and he he say he said, "You don't understand that your voice is important and it's not out there." He's like, "What are you talking about? Come on, like whatever." And he encouraged me, and I decided I I, I wrote a piece. And I sent it to one of these websites, you know, like I think it was Arut Sheba or Kippa or whatever it was. And I said, listen, my Hebrew's not perfect. This is what I wrote. Please just edit it for any terrible errors and tell me what you think. <laughs> they published it. You know what I'm saying? And I, like a, a few times I got a piece put in Israel Hayom. And then I stopped because it's more work. It's really much more work. And it's not that the voice isn't important. The voice is important. And if you develop your voice over time, 
then more and more opportunities will come. And that's also something that people don't realize, that there are so many opportunities in Israel. There are people that need people who are spokesmen. And they don't care about your miftah. They more, they more care about the message. But we withhold that message from them when we fail to speak in, in, in English. Molly, I think about, is, it, is Michael your cousin, Mike Eisenberg? I mean, all Yekim are slightly related somehow far back, but he's not. I, he'd, my mother would have said, oh, we're cousins because, you know, but no, he's not my cousin. Okay. So I think of him. He is like Anglo, Shiba Anglo, but yeah. he could care less. He wrote a book in Hebrew. He speaks in Hebrew. He's, you know, mm-hmm. desired on panels around the world because he like invests gazillions of dollars. Halavaya, we should all be so, be to do the great things he does. But that's, I think, such a great example. You know, they, they value him for what he has to bring, and they could care less about his his miftah. Yes, yeah, I just, just want to say two things. First of all, I just want to give permission to people who 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 don't want to push themselves so hard. You know what I mean? And there are olim who like they wouldn't make aliyah if the message they got was, um, but you have to learn how to speak in Hebrew and you have to learn how to write in Hebrew, and you know, like they 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 just wouldn't come. And so, like, I know so many especially people who come later with larger families, you know, they're older. Mm-hmm. Like, it's also okay if you move to a very Anglo community and that's your comfort level. It's not like they're, you know, I just want to give that that space for people. Like, there isn't, it's not like you're a better Ola or a worse Ola or Ole if, if you integrate more or integrate less. Because I think for some people, this might be, like, it's, the, it, it's like if you tell them that they can't, um, you know, like find their own level of comfort on this issue, then then that's intimidating and pushes them away. So, I, you know, yeah, Johnny wants to add something that I want to. No, I agree with you, but you're not, just, I'm not telling them they can't. I'm saying think about it the other way. Don't you say don't there. have to do anything? But there, think but, about but like, it. From you know, the, from the if, I, you know, I have people who say like, I just, I, I just, I can't do it. It's, it's too hard for me. I don't, you know, like. No, I want, so I want to like, raise right. an important question, which which is probably going to take a little bit longer for you to answer, and this is going to responding back to Molly's point. I totally agree with you, and and. And I think we need to acknowledge that. However, um, However. sometimes parents make that choice for them. They need to be very wary yes. about the implications of that choice for their children. Correct. Because I, uh, uh, and we made a very deliberate choice in terms of where we lived. And Baruch Hashem, my daughters are often my quickest editors of things I write because they're 100% fluent. Um, uh, but if you move to a very Anglo neighborhood, and don't make those choices of having any radio, or any media, or any newspapers. You, that's fine. But sometimes uh, the child, depending on what age and stage they move, can be in this very in-between culture, which is yes. problematic at times and can be very limiting. And that's something that needs to be thought through. Uh, and again, with sensitivity, without in any which way a suggestion of impropriety. But I just want to point that out in response to your comment. Right. So, so I, I want to hear. Add- I would like Molly. I'd like Molly to expand upon that because I don't. I, I don't. I always wondered if that was real or yeah, that's okay. something that. Can you talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I want to with that, and then I want to make one last point. Okay, which, which is I, I totally agree with that. And I, every if any former students are are listening, they will they will remember this. Every year there's a at MMY there's a mechanechet shabbaton where they bring the. Um, I also. I only t- only teach on a bed at MMY. I also teach on Aleph, um, and I'm I'm one of the teachers. It's it's, it's the, w- the women teachers who teach in a certain hour, so we're called the Mechanchot, um, and they bring all these women in. And what's amazing about it is that MMY has a very diverse hashkafic panel, right? So, ranging from very very Haredi, American yeshivish, and then I I'm like you know the the poster child modern Orthodox. Maybe there's one or two other women, um, depending on the year. And the, what I love about this panel is that, you know, they'll talk about army and I'll be on one extreme and the extremely Haredi woman will be on the other extreme and we'll talk about Zionism and we'll talk about Yoatzot, right? And, and we're always on these two opposite ends, right? And, and the American yeshivish woman is somewhere in the middle and she sees the value of the Haredi world and she sees the value of the modern Orthodox world and she's always in the middle. And then the girls ask this question, right? They ask the question of integration into Israeli society. And I love it because I and my... Haredi peer, we totally agree on this issue. In our own communities, we both say, you can do whatever you want, but your children have to integrate into Israeli society. And it's the American yeshivish who's like, no, we don't really fit into a box in Israel, so we create our own little box. Why do I have to integrate? And we say, you can do whatever you want for yourself, as I said before, but I think it's really not healthy for your kids 
to grow up and not feel part of the culture. I, I, I think that I, I, I think that like you're setting them up for much greater success if they feel um, comfortable in the language, in the culture, in the in the like for, in the like um, in the world in which they grow bec- in, in which they grow up. Does that is that answer the question? Well, I, mean, I was actually asking you true. from your from your clinical perspective. Have, right, meaning, so, have you seen examples of children? Who were raised Anglo and then really suffered because of it? I mean, or is it just anecdotal? I, I mean, I like, see, interesting. She's talking about from the Haredi perspective because Haredim don't accept like American Haredi. They like you have to be a hundred percent. Right. Um, I, I think it's something between anecdotal and a little bit more than anecdotal. Right. Meaning we, I don't know if that's an answer. If I had to be pushed pushed into the corner, I would say it's it's basically anecdotal. But there's enough anecdotal evidence. Um, especially if you're making aliyah with children who are older, right? Especially if they're if they're teens and up. The most important thing for a teen is to fit in to society, into their peer group. That's what a teen needs to do. That's like their job, right? The, the, the job of a teenager is to find a peer group and to fit in. Yeah, so but then making also, ali making aliyah with a teenager is very honest, challenging. It is challenging. They're not going to fit and in. They're simply okay, not going to so, fit in. Well, with it depends they where peers. they go, and it depends how hard you work, and you you can find them all types of social groups that they can. You know, and there are places and things that can facil- can facil- facilitate helping them integrate. But if you're going to make Aliyah with teens, your number one, I think, value should not be, um, well, let's just say it should be making sure that they feel socially integrated and that they they end up with a peer group. That that I for sure think. That I can say, mm-hmm. you know, like... All right, let's go back to language. Yeah. But, but I want to say, okay, so I, I just yeah. want to make one more point. The, the final point I wanted to make is there's an, this is also a concept from psychology. It's called the good enough mother, right? What's the good enough mother? Basically, you know, people have babies and they think like, oh my God, I'm going to mess this up. I have to be the perfect parent and if I'm going to make a mistake and it's going to ruin my child for life. And a psychologist called Winnicott came up with this expression. He said, you don't have to be, but he obviously was studying mothers at the time. Now I would probably say parent, right? You don't have to be the perfect mother, is what he said. You just have to be a good enough mother. You have to pick up the baby when it's crying enough of the time. You have to change the baby's diaper enough of the time. You have to figure, right? Meaning you don't have to be perfect and it's actually better if you're imperfect because then the child learns that people, even people who love each other, make mistakes and then they can repair the relationship, right? Imperfection is part of perfection because life is imperfect. And so your goal is should never, right? This is just like a, like a overall thing about perfection, right? Um, the perfect is the enemy of the good because we're so paralyzed by our need to be perfect that we don't, as I, as I was saying before, we don't give anything as opposed to an imperfect 85 is contributing so much more to the world than the perfect zero, right? Quick is better than, right? What's the expression? Um, Perfect is the enemy of the good. The, 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 yeah, the good. but there's also like quick and done is like, you know, again, like Sheryl Sandberg had it like up on the wall in, 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 you know, on Facebook, like, you know, done is better than perfect or something, whatever it was, right? Like, and, and I think that's also really true here where, where like, and this I've really learned, which is, so send the WhatsApp in imperfect Hebrew. That's better. Right. And also like, I, I agree with Johnny, like, it's okay to find the shortcuts. My biggest shortcut, which Johnny alluded to at now, thank God is my kids. I did it today. I had a WhatsApp that I had to send to an Israeli group. So to the American group, I wrote it all out and I, I worked very hard in the language, making sure that like I was getting it all perfect. And then I sent it to my son. I said, translate this for me. Translated it. Good enough translation. Boom. Done. Right. And I think that like the, the, the points of that story are A, I didn't wait till it was perfect. And B, I found a shortcut that was good enough. And I think like having that attitude that like, don't need to be perfect we just need to be good enough i think that fits into what you were saying before which is we end up contributing a lot more to society when we strive to be the good enough the good enough olet the good enough parent the good enough teacher the good enough friend you end up being a, you end up being a successful person when your attitude is i'm proud of being good enough and it's okay to be imperfect and my, my imperfections don't um don't undermine me and as Johnny I think was saying before and I think you also said it before my imperfections can turn into assets right like I think that's what we saw with Effie right because she owned her imperfections and she took it with such humor it turned into her asset and it gave the rest of us who are imperfect permission to come out of our hiding and and kind of identify with her so that that was just the final point that I wanted to make so I want to actually take it from the other side and say it's pretty much a feel the exact opposite of what I what I've said until now, 
And that's a little bit from the perspective of the, of the Israelis. So it's interesting because Israelis immediately identify you as Anglo. And as much as you want to have an effect, so I'll just give an example that happened this week. Somebody reached out to me and said, oh, you know, we have this English rabbis group. We want you to be on this English rabbis group. And I reached out and I said, I would really rather be more involved on the Israeli side. Like they immediately think of me as an Anglo when I sort of want to be involved on the other side. Have you found that as well, Johnny? Have you, have you like that they think of you first and foremost as a, as, as British or Anglo and less more like about the, you know, what you could do in the, in the Kalali perspective? I'm curious. Well, not just as a rabbi, but, you know, I have the double thing, which is often I'm thought of as being an American because everybody <laughs> who's not Israeli speaker, ah, Tamarkai. I say, no, 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 no. no I'm the, right. I, you notice so, I said Anglos because Brit, British people hate no, exactly. being called Americans. They hate it. So, yes, that, that comes quite quickly to a variety of people. Um, and interestingly, by the way, there's there, we're not going to get too much into it, but there's often a perception in some neighborhoods, you know, that Olim are very rich. Ah, so you're a richer American who's coming to Israel, and you have to kind of deal with that as well. Um, nevertheless, if you again, if you make it very clear that actually you really want to be part of the conversation, you really want to be sitting around the metaphorical table, um, it may take time to get there, and maybe you'll still be quite self-confident, but that messaging communicated on a regular basis, it doesn't necessarily open doors, but at least it, 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 it um, leads to some nodding, kind of like, we see you there. Like, we see you that you want to be here. Mali, I'll ask you, and then you will we'll finish up or wrap up. No, I, I, I think it's true. Listen, I think that, that it's also true, and again, I'll just make room for the people who struggle, which is that, you know, Aliyah is hard. Right. There's no question about it. Right. I, I, this is one of the, the most helpful things that was actually when I was in starting Hebrew U and somebody said to me, um, there's a reason why the bracha that Hashem gave to Abraham when he said, is, you know, right, because you're going to give up everything. You, you know, you're not going to have the language. You're not going to have the family. You're not going to have the reputation. Right. It was like, I, again, like I remember I came to Hebrew U and I was like, but in America, people know me. Like, again, I was 25 mm. years old. But, you know, like, my professors know me. My, 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 my graduate professors know me. Like, they know that I have certain capabilities. And these people have no idea who I am. And, like, I just, it, it's, it's, you're starting from zero, right? And so many olim come. And, and, and sometimes there are, um, you know, especially for pulpit rabbis, where, where it doesn't cross over, right? Or, or, or people in Chinuch, where... Um, it's much harder for them to 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 manage in the Misrata Chinuch mm -hmm. system, and 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 so like I want to say that like that struggle is real, and there's often a lot of real sacrifice for Olim, and 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 it it's it's okay also to acknowledge that part of it, right? Which is that sometimes when you make Aliyah, you you really are leaving things behind, and you really are leaving. Oh no 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 no! Not sometimes, all the always time. right. Yes. always. So we're kind of you know creating this very rosy picture and I, I, I'm not denying the rosy picture but I, I also want to say like it's the struggle I, I don't and, think and, those, and are those are the one or the other it's, it's not, not a rosy picture 100%. it's very very hard but at the same time don't sell yourself short I think it's right. fair to say that. and I think that's a beautiful message and I think it's it's also really true right and again there are some people who, who manage it by just saying okay forget it I won't go into Chinook I'll go into high tech right and that happens and sometimes people have to make decisions about priorities and sometimes people decide they're going to stay in America because they feel like they can give to to the world better there and all of those choices are legitimate but I think that what you're saying which is very correct is if you do decide to come here um you, you don't overestimate your limitations that's i think what's what you're saying and i think it's very true i'm yeah. sorry but just when you said it people like i think many people don't try to get into misrata chiruch or go into education and get into the education system here because they already know that it's not going to go well without even finding out okay, whether but there it's are people go who well. do it and they try and they leave and that's also yes okay. there are but like in everything that's and that's fine but i'm not i'm not i'm, I'm i salute those people i really do but uh, i think that more people should consider it train for it understand it's not the same it's just not the same, but it doesn't mean that you can't do it. And it doesn't mean you don't have what to bring. That's all I would say. John, I want to say, we're going to wrap up just, with you. Just on, yeah, on that point, as a, as a mechanic, I actually was recently interviewed by somebody who's doing a study of 
uh, administrators and senior teachers and why they don't go into Misrael Chinuch. And they said, did you try? I said, yeah, I did try. I went there, but basically I was a nobody. And they told me I'd have to start at the bottom of the ladder. And I just wasn't in a position to do so, even though I wanted to get in that system. But this individual is working within uh, Misrael Chinuch to try and make those pathways a little bit easier, precisely because there's a recognition of a skill set. Um, so in terms of Mechanchim, I, I've gone on that journey very much so, and I know some of you have uh, done s- something similar. But yes, there have been limitations. Yes, there are limitations. But I think the, a, a better picture is being uh, portrayed now about the contributions of people who are coming from Chutz Haaretz. So I'd say one further thing, uh, and knowing a little bit about uh, your two stories as well, which is, you know, the phrase Mesiris Nefesh is often interpreted to mean giving up your life. Actually, as the Baal Shem Tov says, Mesiris Nefesh is about giving up a, sometimes a little bit of yourself for something greater than yourself. And those who make Aliyah, uh, many, many people, and I think ourselves included, I've had very tough days, I've had plenty of rejections, you know, times when, when Parnassah has been really, really difficult. Um, and to be Moser Nefesh for, for the midst of Yeshua Eretz Israel is an extraordinary thing. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but people who work, who try, and yes, it's tough, know that Eretz Yisrael Niknet B'Yisurin, and I've gone through that, I know you guys have gone through that in one respect or another, and at times we still do. But that journey can be the breaking of some people, admittedly, but can be the making of many. And... Uh, People often think you just live in Israel. I'm saying no. I'm Meisan Nefesh to live in Eretz Israel, and you, most people don't even understand the amount of, you know, what it meant to give and to take. But my commitment and love of this country makes it way, way, way worth it. And please, God, we're investing in our children, which cannot be cannot be overlooked. Okay, we're going to stop here. Absolutely. I think actually the topic of of teachers integrating into the into the school system is something that's interesting and perhaps we should think about exploring and learning more about it maybe talking to someone who did it who is successful there are definitely models of success and i think it'd be interesting to talk to somebody like that maybe we'll think about that speaking of future topics it's important to note i didn't do this at the beginning if you're still with us it's important to note that uh yesterday israel the israel israeli supreme court came out with a ruling um, requiring that the Misrat Apnim, the Ministry of Interior, recognize conversions of uh, liberal denominations, conservative and reformed Jews, who are who are converted here in Israel. It's been a it's been a um, an atom bomb of a decision. It will have ramifications in politics. And of course, Mish, wanting to always shoot from the hip, suggested that we talk about it. Whereas my my esteemed colleagues, uh, you know, walked me down from the cliff and said, "Let's think about it for a week. Let's talk about it." And uh, we're going to have that discussion next week. So uh, for our listeners, if you have aspects or thoughts that you want us to address or angles that you think that we should address or perspectives that you think we might not uh, be aware of, feel free to reach out to us. We're very available. People know how to find us and uh, share with us your thoughts as we consider talking about this subject in the coming weeks. All right. I want to thank Rabbi Malibrovsky, Johnny Solomon. My name is Ruben Spolter. My son Patach is for our music. As always, have a great week, everybody. <laughs>